Hey folks, welcome back to part two of the conversation with Junyi Lee. Uh, this is our fourth episode of Samzi Month, and it's good because Junyi is whipping out the cool medical imaging slides. So if you're listening on audio only, don't forget to hop over to YouTube uh, at some point to check out Junyi's visual material. And we've got some more Samzi-related episodes after this, so don't forget to subscribe and hit that bell button. And now on to part two with Junyi Lee. So, Shinyi, thanks so much for coming back. You know, I've always enjoyed your presentations. What do you have for us today? Thank you, Glenn. That's my great pleasure to share my research work. And I'm going to introduce more details in this part that I have talked about in the first part. And uh, it will include three projects I have finished or I'm currently working on. I, I summarize my work as uh, studies in precision medicine with imagings, and we'll move to the first part, it's the imaging genetic study. The title for this work is Sparse Learning and Structural Identification for the Ultra-High-Dimensional Imaging Scalar Regression. It is a joint work with Dr. Lili Wang, my PhD advisor, and Dr. Kuisha Judy Wang at George Washington University. So this work is motivated by the study on the Alzheimer's disease as I've just introduced in part one, Alzheimer's disease is a type of dementia that causes problems with memory, thinking, and behavior. Uh, there are some characteristic symptoms for the Alzheimer's disease, like the memory loss and the difficulty performing familiar tasks, and people also will have some problems talking with others or writings. And one thing we should notice is that the diagnosis with Alzheimer's disease is very complicated. We should use like multiple diagnosis tools to like when we say a people is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Like for this list of characteristic symptoms, the memory loss, people usually for the patient diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, the memory loss symptoms indicate that they well, easy to forget what happened recently, but they can they have a good memory for what happened a long times ago in their childhood. Actually, for me, a postdoc in statistics, and for other postdocs around me, I find we all have this kind of symptoms that we are easy to forget what happened recently and have good memory for what happened before. But it's hard to say that we have Alzheimer's disease, right? So I just want to show that the diagnosis is very complicated. Yeah, that's a very interesting aspect that you're bringing up, that it's the same thing is true with many of these mental illnesses that the, or even psychiatric problems as a whole, that there are a series of subjective criteria for identifying whether or not a patient has a given illness. And so I guess part of the challenges and one of the reasons that we're trying to look at quantifying these things bit more is that you can have more objective criteria by which to identify a patient to be suffering from a certain disease. Oh uh, yeah, that's a very good point. Thank you. And as we know, there are some risk factors that are related with Alzheimer's disease, like the age, the sex, the family history. 
And uh, the mild cognitive impairment is kind of a middle stage between the normal people and the people diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. So it is also usually of great interest that how the normal people will progress to the mild cognitive impairment and how this mild cognitive impairment will progress to the Alzheimer's disease. And also there are some genetic factors that are treated related with Alzheimer's disease, like I've introduced in the part one, like the famous APOE genes, the people with certain APOE allele will have like 13 to 14 times higher than your people to get Alzheimer's disease. And in neurology, it is important to realize the association of brain images and patient-level features. And this association can be used to understand the disease progression and can also serve as a tool for the diagnosis. And our data is collected from the Alzheimer's Disease Neural Initiative, or in short, ADNI. It is a private and public partnership that is firstly launched in 2003. It collects data, it is a cohort study, and collected data from the people in United States and Canada. Take a further look at this ADNI database. We have around 374 subjects. And the image here is the PET image, which shows the activity level of the tissue in the corresponding region. The color scale with a value. So a higher value indicates, a brighter color indicates a higher value, that is a higher activity level in the region. And uh, we use two plots here to illustrate the difference between the normal people and the people diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in their brain activity level. The original PET image is a 3D image, and we take one slice from the original 3D. So the imaging we diagnose or we analyze here is a 2D image with around 79 by 95 uh, voxels. And we take slice 48 into this paper. And we also have some covariates in our analysis. It includes the sex, the age, which are the demographic information for the people, and also their disease stages. There are three stages. Cognitive normal, or in short, CON, mild cognitive impairment, in short, MCI, and Alzheimer's disease, in short, AD. And we also include some genomic factors like the APOE and other more than 600,000 SNPs. So, what we try to analyze here, the problem of interest here is. We want to figure out the association between the covariates to the brain images. As we have illustrated in the previous slides, we see the covariates is also associated with the disease. As we see, the, this covariates, the sex, age, could also contribute to the variation in the brain images. So we want to say, okay, we incorporate all those covariates, and we want to see which variation in the brain images is caused by the demographic information, like the sex and age, which variation in the brain images is caused by the disease status, and which is caused by other risk factors. So that's the question, that's the problem of interest.
for this project. We consider to conduct an imaging genetic study. So what is imaging genetic studies? It integrates the multi-scale data from imaging phenotypes, the genomic risk factors, and also environmental risk factors. In many disease studies, the risk factors include the risk genes, for example, the SNP genotypes, and also environmental risk factors like the age, the gender. And in addition, there could be some interactive effects between the risk genes and the environmental risk factors. It is very important to identify these risk factors. Once we can identify these risk factors, we can improve our understanding for the origins of the disease, and it can inspire new approaches for prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. And we can further apply the lifestyle and the medical interventions. We are faced with several challenges in the imaging genetic study. The first thing is the high dimensionality in both imaging data and genetic data. And it is called the big data squared problem because we have both big data in the imaging and genetic part. And uh, take further look of the size for the imaging phenotypes. If we treat it as a functional data, then it is measured around thousands to millions of grid points along the space and all time. And for the genetic data size, we have around thousands to millions of SNPs. So if for data with 100 subjects and only 10 environmental factors, like the demographic information, then the MP, that is the sample size and the dimensionality, could be increased around thousands to millions for both of them, and let alone the potentially large number of subjects. So the high dimensionality in the imaging data and genetic data increase the problem, cause a problem for both the analyzed in methodology and the computation. And within both imaging and genetic data, we have the complex correlation between them and also the certain spatial structure that we want to keep the structure in our analysis. So it also increases the difficulty in analyzing this problem. And the problems of interest can be summarized as those three. The first one is how to identify candidate risk gene factors, environmental risk factors, and GYE effects, the interactive effects associated with the variations in brain imaging. So this is kind of a what problem. What are the risk factors? And the second one is how are the risk factors related to the variations in the imaging phenotype, in the constant or in the varying? So the second problem is kind of how problem, how they are related. And the third problem is to incorporate the spatial correlation, the original structure in the data, and also detect the spatial pattern of the risk factors. I'll use this plot to illustrate our method. So first thing, we build up a good statistical modeling so that the brain imaging is the web of interest and we have several covariates like the age, the sex, the diagnosis of the disease, and the genomic factors. I'll introduce in the following in detail for the modeling part. And in terms of methodology, we employ the basis approximation in the imaging smoothing. 
and uh, to select the variable to detect what's the important risk factors, we conduct a GYE study. We use the adaptive group plus soul to select the important risk factors. And to make the full work complete, we also need to provide some estimation and inference tool. But because the original, the, the first three part is already very complicated, so this part is not included in this project. And due to the time limitation, I'll just give a detailed introduction for the first part, the statistical modeling. So this is a model we try to fit in this analysis. It is called an image on scalar regression. We assume that all the images are registered well so that they have the same domain. And we consider like n subjects, the n equal to 374 in our data. And for each subject, we observe the image and also the covariates we mentioned. So we can see in this model, the variable of interest is the image. And we also have several covariates we collected. It is scalar. That is why the model is called image on scalar regression model. And here the MCI is and AD is a dummy variable for the mild cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease. And a people, if for one subject it is he or she is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, then the AD, the dummy variable AD is equal to one, MCI equal to zero. If he or she is diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment, then MCI equal to one, the Alzheimer's disease, the AD equal to zero. If both of this variable is zero, then that indicates this patient is cognitive normal. And we also have age, we also have sex, we have APOE1 and 2, which is a dummy variable for the APOE genomic factors. And we also have several other factors, plus some error. And for this model, what we want to get is the intercept, the imaging before all this dummy variable. So we have seen this, the variable of interest we know, and this scalar, this variable we know, this covariance is known, and all this intercept image, the coefficient maps here, that is unknown, and that's what we want to get from our analysis. So this is really interesting. So just to be clear, the image on the far left, YZ, is the actual image that you have of the patient's brain. Correct. And, and what you're trying to do is, are you trying to infer the intercept? Or the idea is that you have these, these scalar factors and you're multiplying them by the image. But how are you, I guess my first question is, these images on the right, are they then being estimated or how are those images being derived? Yes, this images are estimated. So a better understand for this regression model is if we think about the linear regression model we learned in the STAT 101, we can see then for linear regression model, the variable of interest y here is just also scalar, right? Then this all this coefficient is also scalar. And we just extend this linear regression model to this image on scalar regression model. The variable of interest y is the image, and the corresponding all this coefficient and intercept is also an image. So a good estimate for this MCI if we keep all other covariates are same and we just change the 
disease data from normal people to the MCI, then this coefficient map shows the difference, the variation that is caused by this change of these data. Is that clear? Yeah, that's helpful. So just to be clear again, the MCI is mild cognitive impairment. Yes. Okay. And AD is? Alzheimer's disease. Okay. So uh, you basically, the idea here is that we create a different dummy variable for each of the clinical diagnoses, minus, of course, uh, non-diseased. And so that's how you build those two dummy variables into this model. And essentially, it's like using a simple linear regression model, but instead of a single value for x or a vector of x values, essentially, you're getting each of your covariates now is, or sorry, each of your data points is a, an entire image. Correct. And so what do the error terms look like on this? Because, you know, we have this error term at the bottom. What do these error terms look like? And how do you perform inference on that error? I'll just introduce it in the following. Well, don't let me stop you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you give a very good question. And I think it will help a lot for the audience to understand. So if we use mathematical symbol to summarize the model, we can summarize the model in this term. Don't be frightened by this mathematical symbols. So this Y is a variable of interest. And here, the G is short for genetic factor. E is short for environment factor. And G by E is short for their interactive fact. And what we want to analyze is the coefficient maps. The coefficient maps show here, we can summarize as a functional term, the F, G for FG, FE, and FG by E. And the arrow terms can be decomposed to two parts. And notice here, the Z here is a 2D vector, which represents the location for each voxel in the image. And it is 2D because it has the both coordinate for X axis and Y coordinates. So the Z here that represents the original voxel in each image, and we use Z here, we use this 2D coordinates here to keep the original spatial structure so that all these coefficient maps we are estimated uh, keep the original spatial structure. So I just said G is a genetic factor, E is for the environmental factor, G by E is the interactive factors, and we want to estimate all these coefficient maps, F and uh, eta is a zero-mean spatial field which characterizes the individual variations. So if we look at the variance-covariance structure for the eta, it has both the diagonal and off-diagonal non-zero elements. And for the epsilon, it's just a random noise that only has the diagonal non-zero entries. And our goal is to identify and characterize the effect of the G, E, and G by E interactions on the brain function. So am I making myself clear now? Yeah, I think this is interesting. So the idea here is that we have these high dimensional predictors. Some of them are genetic factors. Some of them are environmental factors. And then, of course, there's this cross term between the genetic and environmental factors. Yes, you have a good catch. Cool. And so the zero mean spatial field, 
which characterizes the individual variations. So is that trying to capture the patient-specific image and patient-specific elements of any given image? Yeah. Or is there something else there, too? Both the eta and epsilon is decomposed from the noise term. And this one is uh, eta, as you mentioned, is a subject-specific noise that we think that could be provide some good information. And epsilon is just some random noise. And so for epsilon, because these are image intensities, so the measurements are image intensities, what exactly are these epsilons supposed to look like? Presumably they aren't truly Gaussian, for example. They don't follow Gaussian noise, although you might choose to model them as such. What do these noise terms look like? Are they sort of endemic to certain regions of the brain? where basically the model tends to get certain regions less correct or there's higher variability. What does this noise term look like? Like, what does the data look like? This eta has some cross-regions uh, variations, but epsilon, as we look at the terms, it just independent from the different regions. So it's just random noise. If we look at the covariance matrix for the epsilon, it only has the non-zero diagonal entries. Actually, because we got the estimation for these functions, then what we get is, if like this is what we observed, and this f we can estimate them. And if we subtract from the response to this mean function term, we will get a summation for both eta and epsilon. We can, like for the real data, we cannot decompose, get a very precise what eta and epsilon look like. What we usually do is then we get smoothing again to get an estimate for the eta, and then that's epsilon. That's what we usually do in methodology. And epsilon is usually look like just there's no any pattern left in this random noise in the epsilon. And uh, we further summarize this model, if we put all this genetic factor, environmental factor, and GYE interactive factor into a big covariate matrix X, then our model can be summarized in this part. This is a response equal to some additive form for the covariate times the coefficient map plus two error terms. And then, as we have mentioned, we are also interested how this important risk factors associated with the variation in the brain images. So that is whether this one is in a constant effect, that is they are constant across two different regions, or they are in some varying terms. So to do this, a natural idea is to decompose this coefficient map into two parts, a constant plus a function. And all other things are keep same. Then for model identifiability, we require the expectation for this varying function should be zero. That means we extract all the mean part into alpha, into this linear coefficient. Then we transfer all the problem to the estimate for these two coefficients, the linear coefficients and this coefficient function. If both of them are equal to zero, then we can see this risk factors, this covariate has no effect for the variation in the images. And if only the linear coefficient is non-zero, 
then we can see this covariate is in constant form. And if the varying function is non-zero, then we can see this covariate is in varying form. So I'll just skip all the more details part for the analyze in this project. I'll just go directly to the analysis result for the ADNA database. Um, the path measurement varies from negative 0.11 to 2.15. The age for the subject varies from 56 to 90. And the distribution table of the patients by diagnosis status and gender can be summarized in this table. We can see we have more male than the female subject in the study nearly double. And we have more people with mild cognitive impairment status. And then it's people diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And uh, then it's cognitive normal. We apply the image on scalar model to analyze this data set. So we incorporate this dummy variable for the disease status, the diagnosis status. And we have age, we have sex, we have the APOE, we have the interactive effects. And this is a selected features table. For the role, we have the dummy variable for the diagnosis status. We have age, we have sex, we have a dummy variable for the APOE genes. And the column here shows the selected important SNPs. And for this line, it shows the main factor for the MCI, the AD, the age, and APOE2. And this shows the main factor for the selected SNPs. And the subtable here shows the interactive effects between this demographic information and the SNPs. And here are the estimated coefficient maps. So. This is the intercept coefficient map. That means for people with no disease status and it's male in the minimum age group, which is 56 to 60, and with certain gene allele, it is in this coefficient map. That means we expect the estimated brain activity level should like this. And if we keep all other things, but we just change the disease status from normal people to Alzheimer's disease, that will be the change caused by, that will be change, the variation in the brain activity level caused by this change. It shows the bright color. Again, the color scale with the value. The bright color indicates some increase of the brain activity. And the blue regions indicate some decrease of certain regions. And we can also look at the variation caused by the age. Again, if we keep all other factors same, we just change the age, increase the age for every 10 years old, then this will be the variation caused by this change. Will be some decrease in the central lobe and some increase in these regions. And noticeably, there's another SNP selected for this one. It shows a similar patterns, a decrease in the central lobe and increase in some other parts. But if we look at the interactive effects between the age and this SNP, we can see a different effect. 
there will be some increase in the central lobe. However, some decrease in other parts. So it could indicate that with age and certain genes, the main effect could be like this way. So we can see for this gene, it shows a similar pattern for the age. However, if we look at their interactive effects, there could be some increase of the central lobe, however, decrease in the other parts. That means the necessity to include the interactive effects in our model. So if we just look at the effect could be in this direction. However, the interactive effect could show some counterpart effect with the main fact. So that's how we explain these coefficient maps. And then the RS154, etc. Those are then the SNPs that you're looking at as well. And then we can see that there's some interaction terms between the SNPs and the APOE and the SNPs and a sex and things like that as well. Yes, your explanation is great. The RS is just some codings for the SNPs and our coefficient maps, because in this table, we show the selected features. And these maps are the coefficient map associated with the selected features. So this plot is a coefficient maps associated with the dummy variable for MCI, mild cognitive impairment. This coefficient map is the one associated with the dummy variable for the Alzheimer disease. So if we just keep all other covariates same, just change the diagonal status from normal to Alzheimer's disease, this would be the change in the variation. So we can explain this is a variation caused by the Alzheimer's disease given considering all other covariates. Great. Okay, cool. Yep. This then will finish my introduction for this project. And then I'll give some brief introduction for another two ongoing projects. So the part two is kind of an extension for the part one study. It's about a study on the treatment regime, um, which we want to do the study on individualized treatment regime incorporating the imaging features. As we introduced in part one, we have figure out some important features that are related with the variation in the brain image. And then we change our problem of interest here. Here we're interested in the disease status, and we want to include all these covariate, these risk factors, and the brain images. And we want to therefore guide a better treatment regime. That is, we want to guide an optimal optional treatment option for each subject. So here, we include all these covariate, like the environmental and genetic risk factors in our model. We also have the image environment, such as PET images. And we include a treatment in our model. So here, we the variable of interest, the response here is a score for the disease status. That could be a measurement, a criteria to measure the diagnosis status. And uh, first thing, we want to estimate all these coefficients that are related with the environmental and genetic the risk factors and 
the coefficient associated with the risk factors and also the coefficient associated with the image measurement. After we can estimate all these coefficients, and then we want to maximize this value, this working model, so that it can guide an optimal individualized treatment regime. That's what we want to do here. Okay, next I will introduce the part three. It is an inference study on the 3D images. It is a joint work with my collaborators Yue Ying, Guan Nan, and uh, Dr. Lili Wang. So as I have introduced in the previous two parts, it is a study on the 2D images. And as we mentioned, with the advancement in the imaging technology, more and more imaging data are collected within the 3D dimensions. So it is of big interest to analyze these original 3D images directly. So as we have mentioned, we have people with cognitive normal and also some people diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And if we use some smoothing technique, the basis approximation, as before, we can get a very good estimation for the group mean. That means we can get a good estimation of what the brain activity level like for the normal people. And also what's the mean image like for the people diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Then there will be some difference in the brain activity level between these two groups. And uh, it is a natural question would be, what will cause this difference? It could be that the disease itself contributes to the difference in the brain activity level. And it also could be caused by some noise. So to measure this uncertainty, to quantify this uncertainty, a good way is to build up some like confidence interval for 1D data. And for 3D data, we want to build up some confidence region for these things. So that's what we do here. We want to do some inference study for this part. So what we want to see is we get the mean estimation for the difference for these two groups. And we want to build up some confidence region for these two parts. An upper simultaneously confidence corridor and the lower simultaneous confidence corridor. And we compare the difference between the upper bound and lower bound, we can got a significant error here. And this is some preliminary analysis for our 3D data. So the original is a PET image for the brain structure. And we can get, this is a carriage of zero for the uniform confidence region. That means if it is equal to zero, there's no difference between the normal people and the Alzheimer's disease patients. And the red region is the values of cognition normal that are significantly greater than the Alzheimer's disease patients. And the blue region here is the values of cognitive normal are significantly lower than the Alzheimer's disease patients. So these two regions illustrate the significant different region for the cognitive normal to the patients diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. The red region is that the cognitive normal have a 
higher activity level than Alzheimer's disease. And the blue region is on the country. The patients, the Alzheimer's disease patients, have more activity level than cognitive normal people. So we can further look at this region to see what it indicates. And that's the work for this part. Okay, so to summarize, a very general suggestion is keep active both physically, mentally, and socially. It make your life more enjoyable and may also help reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease. And that's all. Great, Xinyi. Thank you so much for coming on and presenting that today. I've always really excited to see your work because you do such a good job displaying it visually. Obviously, with imaging, it's a naturally visual data set to begin with, but it's very nice that you help bridge the gap for people who are less familiar with the subject, like myself, so that they can enjoy the effects of your work and appreciate the value of what you're doing without having to, you know, understand the entirety of the different modalities and the different modeling. So it's really cool seeing how you're able to highlight and describe the quantitative methods of what you're doing using visualization. So I think uh, a lot of people are going to really enjoy this, seeing the different aspects of quantifying the different effects of genetic and environmental factors for something as high-dimensional as a brain and uh, genetics as well. So uh, Yi, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of The Pod of Asclepius. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune in for our next episode. If you're watching from YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and leave a like. You can also follow us on our other social media channels, including LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Have a great story or presentation that's ready for prime time? Or know someone who does? Drop Glenn an email because he'd be happy to hear from you. We would like to thank our sponsors from the American Statistical Association section on Statistical Learning and Data Science, section on Medical Devices and Diagnostics, and North Carolina Chapter. The views expressed on the show are those of the speaker and not their employers, our sponsors, or anyone else not saying the words.